I want to talk to you about a verdict. And it's probably a story you've heard sermons on mucho mucho times. But I'd like to start with a story. Oops, better get my little clicker here. About a little girl who was extremely excited to be going on a big trip to the city. Uh, she was the little girl of a minister, and they were going to have some meetings in this big city. So daddy would be involved in those meetings during the day, and she and mother would have the chance to visit with other pastors' families. Mother was very excited because they didn't get to see these others very often. And of course, the kids were very anxious to be able to play in the hotel pool. So she had been given strict instructions. Stay in the shallow end of the pool. You're only three, and you really do not know how to swim yet. Stay in the shallow end of the pool. However, as you would expect, she's playing and kind of loses track of where she is and suddenly found herself on the edge of forbidden territory. And woe to her, the pool bottom is a little bit slickery. So you guessed it, it wasn't long till she was in over her head. She knew she was doomed. This was going to be the end. But she also knew that if mother knew her dilemma, mother would be there to rescue her. The problem is, mother can't see her. She's totally underwater. So she's got to jump up so she can get her head above water and yell for mama. Jump as she might, try as hard as she wanted to, she couldn't get any more than her little hand above the water's level. Well, she can't yell with her hand. What's going to happen? She tried over and over with all her might and still could not get any higher than her little hand. But mother was looking for that little hand and saw it and, of course, jumped in and saved her little girl. It didn't matter to her that she was dressed quite nicely or that she had just done her hair and was going to be soaking wet now. None of that mattered. She didn't even need Parenting 101. She knew exactly what to do. Get in there, save her little girl. Today we're going to look at a chapter in the Bible that talks about another girl who found herself in a situation where she should not be very near the, into the deep end of the pool. She also was sure that this was the end of her. There was no way out except Jesus showed up and changed the direction of her story. During the first century AD, the story that is found in John 8, 2 to 11, and you probably know this story well, circulated through the early church all on its own by word of mouth. It's not found in the earliest manuscripts of John, of the book of John, although found later. And of course, there's some speculation that it's probably because the woman in this story had become a complete and true follower of Jesus, and to write it down just seemed like it would be too embarrassing for her, and maybe even bring up memories that she didn't want to face. Um, but that's just speculation. It makes sense to me, but who knows? It could be why the earliest manuscripts don't have the story and why later, later ones do. Maybe after she passed away, they wrote it down. 
Whatever the case, it's true that often stories were told by word of mouth at the, at during the um, early times of this world's history. So maybe that's the only reason. We don't know. But there's a few reasons why I really like where this story is placed in the Bible and why it found its home in John 8. You see, it's significant that this chapter begins with this story of the adulterous woman's accusers demanding that she be stoned. And by the end of the chapter, in verse 59, it ends with the Jews picking up stones and ready to stone Jesus to death. I find some irony in it, too, in that the woman who was supposed to be condemned and stoned is set free, ultimately, while the Jews who are demanding that she be stoned don't believe they need to be set free and end up rejecting the only source of their freedom. Right in the, oh, sorry, went too quick. Right in the middle of the chapter, it says, if, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Thus, these Jews have condemned themselves. Another interesting fact is that this story fits right into this series of, of um, John, about verse, or chapter 6 through about chapter 9 or 10, where there's a lot of comparisons between, or in contrast between Moses and Jesus, as if it's necessary that you need to choose one or the other to be their disciple. But it's interesting that in the next chapter, the Pharisees proclaim themselves disciples of Moses and reject Jesus, all because of his manner of Sabbath keeping? That's interesting. The maker of the Sabbath doesn't know how to keep it, and they have to straighten him out. Anyway, get into our story. The background of our story um, is that the day just prior to it happens, there is a setting in the temple courtyard where Jesus is teaching the people, and of course some reject it, some accept it, but there's a lot of uncertainty there. And we see that the Pharisees and scribes are very frustrated by their inability to bring Jesus in and control his actions um, and influence on the people. So they have the issue of sending some men out to try to get Jesus and bring him in so that they can reprimand him. But these men are so impressed by Jesus' words that they can't do it. They said, never a man spoke like this. We can't bring him in. Even one of their own, Nicodemus, comes to them and says, you better be careful about this. Um, this man might be more than you think. And so they have decided he's an imposter and that he needs to be brought in. And so we now have this story where they are going to attempt to do just that. Our story for today is going to start in verse 2 of John 8. It starts by saying, early the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Enter the scribes and Pharisees, who appear eager to humiliate this young woman, you see, they could have kept her in another room. They didn't have to bring her out into the open public, crowded place um, while they 
came to speak to Jesus about her, but she was collateral damage. She wasn't really there to, for anything except they wanted to use her. They don't really care about her. It's, it's probably even true that one of them set up the whole situation. So the next verse tells us that the teachers of, and of the religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. It's impressive to me a little bit that, that John takes the time to say, and put her in front of the crowd. It's important to these Pharisees, you see, that there's a crowd there because they want lots of witnesses to notice their bringing down of Jesus, and they are sure that they have got the exact way to do it. This kind of thing was not too unusual at this time in world's history because it often happened that um, they would bring cases to a rabbi for a decision. But they're bringing her right into the temple court, turns it into a court of law. The problem is Jesus isn't an ordinary rabbi, and he, they are not going to get an ordinary answer to their accusation, which in the next verse says, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, we found this woman in adultery in the very act. Okay, we've come to the part of our story where it's the charge. And the charge against this woman is adultery. Since in Jewish law, this charge would require witnesses, the verse clearly states that she was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in Jewish law, adultery was considered one of the three gravest, most heinous sins of all. It's right up there with murder and idolatry. So comes the setup in verse 5. Now, in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Are you starting to see the setup here? I kind of wondered, it's interesting, have you ever seen anybody else come to church with a Bible in one hand? and a stone in the other? Kind of unusual to me, but the truth of the matter is there are two passages in the law of Moses, or the law that Moses wrote in the Pentateuch, that speak specifically to this situation. One found in Leviticus 20, verse 10, and the other in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 22 to about 25. Leviticus states that if a man is caught in adultery, um, with another man's wife, the two of them will be put to death. Deuteronomy is the one that talks about um, if a man is found caught in adultery with an unmarried young woman, um, then they both will be brought to the gate and stoned. So stoning was only if the young woman was an unmarried but engaged person. And they don't bother to tell us in this story that that's the case. So it seems pretty clear that we're manipulating things just a little bit here. It's always interesting to me, too, that 
Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? She committed adultery all by herself. She's the only one there. To me, this is the biggest evidence that the Pharisees are attempting to set up this situation and manipulate the law. Most likely, they have established this setup um, so as to test Jesus. And verse 6 points out, this they said so that they would have a reason to accuse him. The truth is, apart from the fact that this is probably a setup, apart from the fact that they've manipulated the law, any excuses, any reasons um, that these accusers have brought, the fact remains she is guilty as charged. Have you ever been guilty of something um, you knew was wrong and felt condemned by the law? Of course you have. You are guilty. If you think you have not stepped into that realm, listen to what John says in one of his other books. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Probably all based on the fact that Romans tells us that all have sinned and come short. So, we have established guilty. That's the sin. That's the truth here of it all. So put yourself in the temple court, right here beside this woman. Put ourselves right there, me and you, standing in the courtyard with this woman. We are guilty as charged. You see, it's important that you understand the seriousness of the bad news. Otherwise, you're never going to grasp and understand the good news that's coming. Time to experience what that woman experienced that day. We've got the verdict coming up. We've got Jesus in the courtyard. We've got the woman, the accusers, and the crowd watching. The trap is cleverly set. But there is a bit of a dilemma. The Jews don't have the right at this time in, um, to pass a death sentence. So this setup is such that if Jesus says, go ahead and stone her, they can accuse him to the Roman officials who are probably standing in the background somewhere that um, he is deserving of death because he's trying to usurp their power. If Jesus says, on the other hand, no, leave her alone, then he's, he's able to be charged with breaking the law of Moses, and the crowd will see that there is a problem here. He's not being true to the law of Moses. This is important. So you see, either way, it means Jesus is out of there, and that's all they want. They want to get Jesus out of there, out of their influence because they need control of the crowds. I'd say this is pretty clever. But what does Jesus do? The next verse says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Interesting. Do you know that this is the only time in all of the Gospels where it is said that Jesus wrote, or that, yeah, that Jesus wrote. 
A later manuscript suggests that he probably wrote down the sins of the people. And it kind of makes sense because when you look at the Greek word um, that should have been used to just say he wrote, it would have been grapho. However, John uses the word katagrapho, which means to write something down as a record against someone. So whatever the case is, it's clear. Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Are you feeling the intensity? Are you there with her? Do you feel how catastrophic this must be to the guilty one? Jesus has just agreed. She's guilty, and the sentence is stone her. And then he stoops down and starts writing some more. Now, on a side note, and this is free, there are only four times mentioned in the Bible where God wrote. The first time he wrote on the tablets of stone, and he wrote the law. The second time he wrote was on the Babylonian wall, and he wrote out a judgment against those who were sinning and rebelling against him. The third time he wrote was when he wrote the sins in the dust. Why did he write them in the dust? Did he know that those sins could blow away because they were going to be atoned for, because they were going to be paid for, because the sentence was going to be issued and taken care of? Interesting to me that he wrote the law, he wrote the judgment, and he wrote the sins, which are the reason for the judgment. And you know what he writes the fourth time in the Bible? He writes a new name for you. A new name for you because those sins are blown away thanks to the cross. Okay, but, uh, we could preach on that for a long time, but let's get back to our story. Can you feel the intensity here? You're standing there with a verdict passed, waiting for that first stone to hit you. How does one prepare to be stoned? Jesus had specified exactly who could cast the stones, those without sin or sinful desires. And then the verse says, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out, beginning with the oldest to the last. This is probably another hint to the fact that what Jesus wrote on the ground was the sins of the people. Um, they begin to leave one by one. It's interesting that it is clear that they began with the oldest to the last. I think it's because the oldest recognized what was going on quicker than the younger ones did. I don't know, but as Jesus is still writing on the ground, um, they all leave until no one is left that is qualified to throw the stone. Oops, wait a minute. There is one there. There is one remaining at the scene, and he is qualified to throw the stone. He was left alone, and the woman where she was in the center of the court. By his own definition, Jesus is the only one remaining there, 
and the only one who is qualified to throw the stones, and it's time for that sentence to be carried out. Death is right around the corner. It's time that the sentence is carried out and the condemnation is assured. When Jesus stood up and saw no one there, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She looked around. No one, Lord. And then what does Jesus say? I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. What? Why, why not, not condemned? Is not the same finger that wrote the law, the one that wrote on the ground, and he's the one that's saying he's not condemned? How can this be? Well, let me tell you, this is exactly why the book of John was written, so that we may understand what Jesus really did for you and for me. Notice the words, go and sin no more. Jesus has upheld the law that he wrote, but he aborted the stoning, thanks to grace. Sometime later, the only one who had the authority to throw the stone did throw the stone, even though he threw it at himself, meaning he took the penalty that I deserved by being the guilty one. You see, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. The nails were superficial. They had no power to hold him there. The only thing that held him there was his overwhelming love for the guilty one who he wanted to be with him forever. Later on in this same chapter, there's some controversial discussions with the leader at the temple, at the temple and John records that Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Yahweh existed. And then they took up stones to throw at Jesus, but he hid himself and passed away, passed by them. It wasn't time yet for the sentence to be carried out. So, how does the sentence get carried out? It wasn't all that long after this that he did take the penalty that the guilty one, me, deserved. We're fast-forwarding to the cross, and when Jesus said in John 19, it is finished, what did he mean? There's a lot of sermons I've heard on that, too, and a lot of meaning in it is finished. But the thing that impresses me the most about it is finished is all condemnation for those who believe in Jesus is finished because the sinless Son of God took humanity's death penalty upon himself. He ended the sacrificial system. He ended the condemnation and took on the actual penalty. Remember in John 1, when um, John the Baptist introduced him as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world? It is finished. There's no more sin laid on the world when you are in Jesus. 
Jesus has the authority to cast the first stone, and he always speaks in the same order. I do not condemn you. He condemned himself, and then go and sin no more. God wants us to live that healthier, sin-free life, and he never, ever, nor will he ever, reverse the order. He never says, go and sin no more so I don't have to condemn you. It's always been, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Why? Because the penalty has been paid. Condemnation absorbed by the sinless Son of God. Jesus jumped in the pool. Jesus took my sin. John is very specific about the reason that Jesus became flesh and takes away the sin of the world. There's a little verse that's sometimes forgotten right next to the most popular voice or verse in the whole Bible. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was never God's intention that you live with guilt or condemnation. This verse is found in John 3, 17. He saved us. There are many days, sometimes weeks and months, maybe even years, when I, and maybe you, feel condemned, guilty as charged. Sometimes the condemnation comes from others, but so often it comes from myself. Guilt is heavy. It's a heavy burden that doesn't allow us to become who God designed us to be. I urge you in the name of Jesus, become free from that today. It might be helpful to visualize this scene a little bit. Sit on the, sit on the floor sometime if, if you're able. It's a little difficult for me at this age. <laughs> um, but sit on the floor and close your eyes. Imagine yourself sitting in the center of a court. You are guilty. Maybe no one else knows it, but you do. Now listen to the charge. You deserve to die. Did you hear that? This is seriously the bad news. However, now confess your sins and <coughs> excuse me and claim the death of Jesus on the cross as your own die there to your selfishness claim Jesus as your savior and then you too can hear Jesus response I don't condemn you go and sin no more did you hear that that's the important thing and this is seriously good news I wish I could get as exuberant as that girl huh. great new good news Believe what he's saying, because it is true. If the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I'd like to paraphrase that verse, if you'll allow me. Since 
the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. Now leave your guilt and burden there at the cross. Get up and go live a life for God's glory to the full potential that his spirit will enable you to. Now I want you to rejoice with me with Paul, as Paul said. Therefore, there is no condemnation for... Very good. Evelyn, Steve, Joe, John, I don't care what your name is. Put it in there. Who is in Christ Jesus? Do you feel better? Feel a little relieved? If you don't, say it again. I went to a class once where they were trying to teach us to really understand a concept about um, letting go of depression. And he said, if you still don't believe it, jump up and down and shout it. If that's what it's going to take for you to believe it, jump up and down and shout it. There is no condemnation because I am in Jesus. We've got an advantage over that girl because we know the end of our story. Your sins have been cast away. They have been taken away. And they are as far as the east is from the west. Contemplate that. Travel as far east as you want, and you will never find west. Travel as far east, look as much as you want for your sins, and you ain't going to find them. When you are in Christ Jesus. Really, it is so. My word. Woohoo!